Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messina. On this week's Miranda Warnings, we're going to be discussing how the coronavirus pandemic is impacting our courts and our legal system and how our bar leaders are addressing this crisis. Uh, with us today, we're very pleased to have Judy Perry Martinez, the president of the American Bar Association and a partner with the law firm of Simone Perrigine Smith and Redfern of New Orleans. Welcome, Judy. Thank you, David. It's very good to have you here, along with uh, the president of the New York State Bar Association, Hank Greenberg, a partner at Greenberg Traug. Welcome, Hank. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you back on the show, Hank. Uh, first, Judy, please let me share our best wishes from New York to our friends and colleagues at the American Bar Association. Well, thank you. And the same to all of you. The ABA, uh, of course, focused immediately on the safety of our employees and having made sure that they were all safe and able to work remotely, uh, we quickly moved to assure the safety of all of our members and trying to give resources to lawyers across the country, including our friends um, in your state of New York and all the members of the New York State Bar Association. Well, thank you, Judy. Uh, Judy and Hank, uh, as you know, in, in times of great uncertainty, we turn to our legal system for continuity and stability. Um, Judy, what are we seeing in our courts nationally? David, each and every court is dealing with the same kinds of issues that lawyers are dealing with and so many others in terms of keeping themselves, their families, and their colleagues safe, making sure that they are continuing to operate and serve in the best way possible for all those involved. In the case of the court systems, you're seeing some ideas that are being sparked about how we can do things differently, at least on a temporary basis. And some of those ideas may stick and show us how we can do things better in the long run. Uh, but what we know is that courts, individual judges, and court administrators who are such a critical part of that team, as well as uh, others in the court system, clerks and staff, are stepping up to make a difference. I can give you one example of a court uh, that really is thinking in ways that I believe will benefit us for the long term, um, and that is uh, Texas, where Chief Justice Nathan Heck and his court administration and his colleagues on the bench um, issued an order this week uh, by which they acquired, um, with the help of, uh, of, of the services of Zoom, the ability to communicate 3,000 Zoom accounts, as I understand it, to ability to communicate to 500 on each of those uh, meetings or platforms. And they have gone to, in essence, except for some essential proceedings, as I understand the order, have gone to a significantly full and robust remote uh, proceedings for the courts. Of course, there are some exceptions for that, 
Um, but the concept here is that we are all, and I think many courts around the country are facing, is that we are all been dealt uh, these challenges. We have to take public safety and the health of everyone involved in our court systems and in our practices uh, as a first priority. And we are going to figure out ways to adapt and deliver justice in the case of the courts, deliver legal services in the case of lawyers as best we can under the circumstances. Again, recognizing that each of us has to comply with the governor's orders in our respective states. Um, but at the same time, there are some essential services that may in fact need to be rendered on a limited basis in person. Right, and, and Hank, uh, here in New York, I know you've been working closely with our Office of Court Administration. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how the courts are operating uh, now here in New York? So everything Judy said um, um, in terms of the relevant issues and concerns certainly are applicable here in New York, uh, and then some. Um, our chief judge, our chief administrative judge, um, have been focused like a laser beam every day, 24-7, on the crisis, which, of course, in New York State, and in New York City in particular, has been aptly described as the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, New York State has more confirmed cases of the virus than any other state. New York City in particular, and of course, parts of Westchester County, um, have uh, suffered mightily. Um, and as a result of the actions that the court has taken um, in New York have been uh, appropriately, but nevertheless very dramatically um, draconian. The courts have not closed, uh, and the chief judge has been very eloquent about that, and they will not close. But nevertheless, uh, as a practical matter, with the exception of emergency proceedings in the state courts, um, uh, there are no in-court proceedings at this moment um, other than emergency proceedings, and increasingly they're being done um, online um, remotely. Uh, at the same time, though, I know our court system um, is planning and um, addressing the problem in real time based on the science um, and based on the uh, directives of Governor Cuomo. Um, rarely a day goes by when the governor is not issuing a new executive order um, of significant uh, impact, and necessarily those impacts uh, affect the court system. And Chief Judge uh, DeFiori and Judge Marks uh, every day are calibrating uh, the decisions that they're making with respect to the courts and their operation based on the science. So I also know at the same time, though, that they are acutely sensitive, uh, our, our court leaders in New York, acutely sensitive to the dramatic impact um, that the current um, steps that have been taken are having, certainly on the public, of course, but also on the profession. Uh, they're very well aware, for example, of uh, um, just what a tremendous impact the court closures are having on the lives of solo and small firm practices, as well as litigants and lawyers across the board. So this is very much in New York a work in progress. Um, every day uh, there's a new development. It seems like every day there's new, a new administrative order uh, coming from the courts and the governor. So we're really all on a stay tuned basis 
at least for the next couple of weeks, if not months. Yes, and and I know Hank, you and and Judy uh, as well have uh, been taking action on behalf of uh, your respective bar associations to be of assistance in this uh, time of crisis. I know, uh, Judy, you've just formed uh, a new task force on the legal needs of Americans uh, following this pandemic that's going to be chaired by James Sandman, the uh, former president of the Legal Services Corporation. Tell us a little bit about about that uh, new task force and what you expect to see from it. Yes, we uh, stood up the task force on March 12th. It had its first meeting uh, the following Wednesday uh, of, of March 15th, I believe it was, and we brought together an extraordinary group of people who will be working with the direction and leadership of Jim Sandman, President Emeritus of the Legal Services Corporation, who just recently retired. And as everyone who knows Jim uh, would be in no way surprised, he stepped up once again to serve. What's remarkable about the task force is that it's made up of not only critical ABA entities, sections, divisions, and forums, as well as our some of our standing and special committees who have uh, critical and unique voices that need to be at the table and others to follow. But it also brings together uh, with the ABA's convening power, our longtime collaborative partners on so many fronts. Um, and I can tell you that when I called the Conference of Chief Justices President, uh, Chief Justice Heck, when I called uh, the president of the National Center for State Courts, Mary McQueen, when I called the president of the uh, COSCA, the court administrators, Joe Baxter, um, and so many others, NLADA, the individual who was respons- is responsible for the response of the federal courts to the pandemic, each and every one of them, and so many more, no matter how busy they were, when I said, can you please serve, they said yes. And when even on those, when I said, can you give me a designee, they said, no, I will be at the table. And we've had two calls so far, the task force, and they have all been on those calls and already contributing. Um, What the task force will do is to have a mission that is threefold on a significantly expedited as needed basis. And that is number one, identify the legal needs arising out of the pandemic. Number two, make recommendations to the American Bar Association as to how to address those needs. And number three, and most importantly, mobilize pro bono efforts across this country in order to make sure that individuals and small businesses and so many more who are going to be facing ever ratcheting up needs uh, as a result of the challenges that are before them can in fact have service and there'll be a multitude of ways that we'll be doing that we're amassing resources and we'll soon have up a website at americanbar.org where the work of the task force will live in addition we'll be leveraging existing resources such as the aba's aba free legal answers which is an online platform available in 41 states and we hope to have it in many the remaining states and territories Um, which allows individuals or the public to go on and post a legal question and have uh, lawyers step up and step forth and answer those individual questions, not only meeting the needs of those individuals who utilize free legal answers, but also, very importantly, 
freeing up the resources and the expertise of legal aid and legal services um, grantees across, legal services corporation grantees across the country who are really frontline legal providers in communities, particularly for the poor and the near poor, um, and in cases after disasters, those of uh, victims of disasters and moderate means. So we're very excited and know that this, this task force has great potential to do good, to do it well, and to do it on an expedited basis with the individuals who have come to the table. Yes, and, and Judy, of course, the ABA Free Legal Answers uh, program is one that's been in place uh, already. The New York State Bar Association and its members uh, have been uh, active participants. Anyone who's listening that wants to access Free Legal Answers can go to freelegalanswers.org. Uh, this provides low-income persons an opportunity to pose legal questions online, and then qualified attorneys will answer remotely uh, pro bono. Uh, so it's a wonderful service, certainly one that uh, is going to be even uh, more uh, important uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Now, now Hank, I want to talk a little bit about a, a task force that, that you've just started. You know, we're talking nationally about the problems that are occurring to small business owners. And uh, most lawyers uh, that work in private practice are small business owners. Uh, More than 50% of the members of the New York State Bar are solo or small firms. And they're struggling uh, like many other small business owners. And tell us about the task force that you just formed to address this issue. Well, uh, exactly what you said, David, the impact of uh, COVID-19 on um, small uh, firm and solo practitioners has been nothing short of devastating. Many of these firms have relatively limited reserves and resources uh, to draw on in a crisis, and certainly no one contemplated a crisis like the one we're now facing. Um, So we are focused like a laser beam on meeting their needs, and uh, those needs are manifested in a variety of different ways. Obviously, there's the economic impact of watching their businesses, in many cases, sadly, crumbling before their very eyes, um, providing financial assistance or at least the resources so that they can access um, um, financial assistance and loans um, is going to be a top priority for the task force. Likewise, in terms of technology, um, we have to do everything in our power to make sure that small firms and solo practitioners have the technological resources and capacity. Um, The profession, you know, has been over the last several years moving more and more to a digital um, um, platform. Um, Increasingly, we've seen the digitalization of the profession. Well, I think as someone once said, uh, uh, we have seen more more change in the last five to 10 days than we have seen in the last five to 10 years. Uh, and, and small firms and solo practitioners around the state have various degrees of um, facility with technology, and we need to get them to a place, um, especially now and especially during the crisis, where they can continue to practice and do so remotely. And in New York, uniquely in New York, it's not quite as simple as you might think to tell a, an attorney, 
you need to be working online more and going on Zoom and doing online practice in various forms. There are still in New York State significant parts of the state where broadband access is limited. So we have to ramp up our advocacy to make sure policymakers do that. In addition to technology, in addition to the economic concerns and considerations, there has been a profound emotional impact. I mean, on one sense, it's a comfort, I guess, that we're all in the same boat as a society, but nevertheless, it's our obligation and responsibility to be advocates and supporters of all attorneys throughout New York, and many lawyers are hurting. And so our LPM program, our lawyer assistance programs, our wellness programs are going to be more robust and intensifying that. What we're also doing, um, in addition to the task force, David, is we have in a significant way transformed our website and all of our digital platforms uh, to become COVID-19 information centers. Uh, the website provides access to all sorts of webinars. Many of them are free, CLE programs that are focused on the crisis. We're sending out blast emails with updates, court notices, the governor's new executive orders in real time, every day. So we're using all of the technology. It was our goal, um, actually starting in June of this year, to be building a virtual bar center. And thankfully, our staff, which I got to tell you, this has been in my experience, their finest hour, have built a virtual bar center. And thankfully, we are in the position to provide the services and resources our members need digitally, online, on social media, and through email. Yes, uh, you know, it, we, we've uh, advanced exponentially here uh, f- uh, to work remotely. Uh, I don't think I've ever been so happy to appear on a uh, a, a Zoom conference call to see some of my colleagues, uh, as I have been over the past week. Uh, it's it's the the every little bit of connection uh, that we have uh, becomes so meaningful, and certainly uh, our bar associations are helping to provide that through you know these difficult times. Uh, Judy, David, what do you David, what do you see? Yeah, may tell I, us. David, may I just make one more comment uh, in? in supplement of what Hank said. You know, one of the things that your listeners may not realize is how important and how strong the relationships are among bar associations across the country and across cities, as well as with the American Bar Association. And it's because of the strength of that relationship and the back and forth of communications with members and leadership and others that we are able to be there for each other. Um, and that is so important for, I think, our nation of lawyers to understand. Um, it is, of course, uh, each of us, I think, believes in the involvement, engagement in the organized bar, whether that's your affinity bar, your local bar, your state bar, the American Bar Association, or some combination of those, or your specialty bar association in terms of your practice area. But what I think listeners should know is that the extent of that cooperation that is ongoing now, the sharing of resources, um, knowing that we are talking and learning from each other, and that we're hearing needs in one state that we may not have heard in another state, that's certainly the case at the American Bar, and we are able to get ahead of the issue 
um, in that second state because of the generous sharing of information from places like New York and elsewhere. And whether it is a matter of looking at resources on your state bar, looking at available free resources on the same sorts of things on the American Bar Association, such as wellness and stress resources and a series of video clips that will continue and free for every lawyer in this country on how to work remotely, how to manage people remotely, how to work on Zoom with more proficiency, how to understand what disaster response is all about, CLEs that are free for all of our members, but also those webinars that are free on the pandemic response to everyone that are coming out of the sections and divisions and forms. What you know is that we are all working together in order to assure that we can serve the members and the people in, across the country, the lawyers and their staff and others who need our help. Yes, Judy, I think that's an important point. And, and certainly at this time of social distancing uh, and remote working, uh, I think the connections that we, that we do have become even more important. Um, you know, we're seeing other issues that, that perhaps we were, uh, we were definitely not prepared for. I know we've got thousands of law students that are going to be graduating uh, one way or another in May and uh, expecting to take the bar exam in July. And uh, there's some uncertainty uh, regarding how that's going to go forward. Uh, since I have the, the two of you, maybe you can share some of your thoughts on uh, what that looks like and uh, what the potential options are going forward for those that are seeking to take the bar exam this year. Uh, so David, this is, uh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because it's an enormously important issue, especially for graduating law students and, and young lawyers. Um, right now, uh, 3Ls in their spring semester uh, are going through life crises um, to various degrees. Um, we can all remember as lawyers when we were in our spring semester and the things that we were thinking about, do we have a job? When do we study for the bar? When do we take the bar? Do we pass the bar? All of those questions, in addition to graduating, put enormous stress and strains on people. So 3Ls today are no longer physically in the classroom, at least in New York and in many states. They're taking their spring semester online remotely. And in New York in particular, we hear reports of how law firms are rescinding offers or for positions previously offered for first-year associates. Um, summer associate positions are drying up. Um, these students are looking at a situation where if they can't find employment, many of them have massive law school debt. And then the bar exam is coming at them at 100 miles an hour. Um, in New York, as well as across the nation, the bar exam is taken in July. And the July exam in New York is typically taken by as many as 10,000 students. Um, well, the coronavirus has upset all of our plans. And now the question on the table for New York policymakers, the Court of Appeals, the Chief Judge, uh, the Board of Law Examiners, is whether to cancel the July bar exam, and if so, when to reschedule it. Uh, we are blessed because we have an emergency task force uh, on the New York State bar exam chaired by 
uh, um, presiding justice Alan Shankman uh, of the second department. Um, it is an extraordinary group of people, the best of the best. We have Court of Appeals Judge Michael Garcia, many distinguished past presidents, the Bar Association, extraordinarily um, 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 experienced people. They began their emergency process of thinking about this issue um, just yesterday. Um, I expect um, uh, they and they have been tasked to be making their recommendations on a rolling basis. Um, I would think we will have their recommendations very, very shortly. The decision about whether to hold the Jalar bar exam has to be made now. Um, just as a practical and logistical matter, it needs to be made now. But also for these graduating students, as well as other people who want to take the bar exam in July, they need the certainty of knowing whether they're going to take it then, and if not then, when are they going to take it? So I expect, David, we will have some announcements and recommendations for Chief Judge DeFiori on that very issue very, very shortly. And Judy, what are you, what are you seeing uh, other states uh, doing with respect to uh, the bar exam issue that's uh, just a few months away? Well, I think that people are really putting their heads together to figure out what's the best approach in their particular jurisdiction. Um, I know that they are listening to law students. Um, I've heard reports about law students, you know, making sure that their voices are heard in terms of what they believe would lessen, certainly not do away with, but lessen the unknowns and the stresses that they are uh, facing right now. And this time that let's all face it should be a time uh, when they are, um, enjoying the last time together in a law school on campus and, and being with their classmates that they've been with for the last three years and looking forward to all that's in front of them, including the bar exam. Um, my understanding is that the National Conference of Bar Exams Examiners is also looking at this issue. It's not decided um, to cancel the July exam. Um, it's going to decide that no later than May 5th. Uh, I don't speak for the National Conference of Bar Examiners, obviously, but they did issue a statement earlier today, um, and they believe that at that time they'll have a better sense of whether enough jurisdictions want to move ahead with the test at the regularly scheduled time in July, um, and whether there are any restraints on doing so with regard to public gathering restrictions, um, and also um, looking to see if there's alternatives to be um, had with regard to um, times other than July. Um, what I would suggest to um, everyone who's listening is one of the best ways that we as individual lawyers can help in this moment, you have the leadership of your bar association taking affirmative steps to study along with your courts uh, what's best for your jurisdiction. Um, everyone's staying tuned in to what the National Conference of Bar Examiners and the various state jurisdiction um, providers of the test uh, will be determining the next several weeks. But any individual lawyer can make a difference and contribute. We all know law students at, in the 1L, the 2L, and the 3L level. We may know them through our synagogues or our churches, our children's friends, or through even our work in the firms. And one of the things that we can do is to just pick up the phone or pick up a tech, a phone and text them or call them for even just 10 or 15 minutes and let them know that you are there for them. Let them know that a member of the bar association in our country cares about them um, and that we're hearing what they're going through. We understand 
in some small way their struggles and their challenges at this moment. And we want them to know that we welcome them into the bar when they will be with us. Well, that's certainly, that's certainly good advice. Uh, all of us uh, that are practicing attorneys know that this period between, you know, the, the, your, the end of your third year and, and the time you take the bar and eventually pass is the most uncertain time uh, that you'll ever have in your career. Uh, very difficult uh, and now made more difficult by, by this uh, additional uncertainty. And, you know, obviously some of it's going to have to, we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, but certainly helpful that we have uh, our leaders uh, looking at this issue uh, and trying to provide some guidance in these difficult, difficult times. I'm wondering for both of you, are you seeing any sort of legislation that uh, might be coming out of the issues that we're faced with here that lawyers and bar associations might be getting behind? Yeah. Hank, uh, yeah, is there so anything? Or Judy, go ahead, Judy. No, no, I, I just, I know that we, um, we certainly are uh, looking at the stimulus bill and, and trying to learn more about it as it unfolds, uh, just being uh, signed today. Uh, we certainly uh, are looking at how that will impact law firms um, as small businesses and, and, and any availability in that regard uh, with regard to um, resources or assistance. Um, we also are looking at, importantly, the stimulus bill and uh, what it's done in terms of some good news uh, uh, with regard to prisons and jails, which are some of the highest risk environments, of course, uh, for COVID-19. Um, certainly, um, you know, provisions that allow greater access to personal protective equipment and testing materials for those working in, in prisons is important. Um, we are encouraged by the expanded use of home detention and electronic monitoring as another means to get people to a safe place. Um, and we have other considerations that we are looking at. Uh, we were disappointed that the provisions did not include um, an increase in access to release for older and infirm prisoners. Uh, but we understand and have been advised that the Department of Justice has directed federal prisons uh, to identify elderly and medically compromised individuals for, um, for home confinement. And I think most importantly, you're seeing some extraordinary work by lawyers, prosecutors, uh, judges, and others uh, in, the, in the court system who are working to seek practical alternatives to incarceration for nonviolent offenders, um, especially you know, during this time and on an expedited basis. Um, we also know that the uh, declarations with regard to essential services and whether legal needs fit in that is a critical issue for lawyers, of course, who must uh, abide by the shelter-in-place and stay-at-home stay orders. But at the same time, there are certain services, of course, that need to go forward that lawyers render uh, to those who give essential services as well as to others in need, whether it's child custody, domestic violence, uh, criminal defendants, and so many more. Um, and finally, um, we are certainly um, aware of and watching uh, legislation um, that will help communities in need, including, we're very proud to say that we supported the, the American Bar Association, supported the request for supplemental appropriation for the Legal Services Corporation, which is included in the stimulus bill at 
$50 million in supplemental appropriation. And we're urging all state legislatures to make sure that they are not in any way cutting state funding of legal services for those in need in their jurisdictions. Hank, what are we seeing in New York as far as legislation that we're getting behind? Well, the, the, we should look at it in two ways, the near term and the long term. In the near term, because we are in the epicenter of the coronavirus crisis with uh, members of the legislature and staff seemingly each day uh, the infection spreading. We already have a few legislators and staff, and I expect we'll see more and more. The legislature now is deeply immersed in, in, in finalizing the state budget, um, which I expect they will accomplish in the next couple of days. Uh, how active the legislature is going to be after they do the budget, um, especially this year, is an open question. Uh, there's some discussion that they are going to try to remove, move to a remote platform themselves and, and find ways to be able to vote electronically and digitally. That's a significant thing because we're talking about the state capitol. The legislature meets as a body and with social distancing as a practical matter, that's going to be very, very challenging. But more specifically with respect to the question you asked and the budget, which is before the legislature now, um, I think there's a reasonable possibility the legislature will be acting on our proposal um, to reform the parole system uh, insofar as it mandates reincarceration of parolees for technical violations. Um, we have a serious problem in New York and a potential public health crisis of its own with respect to the infection um, in, um, in our prisons throughout the state. And New York currently has a system in which a person who's on parole is um, um, incarcerated, reincarcerated as a mandatory proposition for the most minor of infractions of the terms of parole. They had a drink. Uh, they failed to uh, attend a meeting with their parole officer. That results in mandatory incarceration. So the arguments for reforming that law were really strong even before the virus. But now, given the virus and what it is doing to our society, as well as the threat it poses to people who are incarcerated in prisons, it makes no sense at all to be putting people in prison for uh, alleged technical violations of parole. In the long term, uh, I would expect when we get through with the virus, we are going to see an enormous amount of legislative activity uh, that will be relevant to the profession. Our business law section is already looking um, at relevant provisions of the not-for-profit corporation law, the for-profit corporation law. We really need to do a complete um, uh, top-to-bottom review, actually, of all of our codified laws in terms of how they square with this new digital world in which we now live. Um, and finding ways increasingly to liberalize the ability um, for financial transactions and others to be conducted um, online, I think you're going to see a lot of legislative uh, activity in that area and many others that we can't even foresee until the crisis is over. Right, right. Well, that's so, that all sounds uh, like a, obviously very important uh, work that we need to get behind uh, Judy Perry Martinez, president of the American Bar Association, Hank Greenberg, president of the New York State Bar Association. I thank you both not only for appearing here on Miranda Warnings, but for your service to our legal profession and for your leadership 
to us uh, during these very difficult times. These are obviously very serious topics. We have something of a lighthearted uh, feature on Miranda Warnings called mm -hmm. Music, Book, or Movie. And perhaps uh, each of you can share some type of performance, a book or movie that uh, our listeners uh, might want to uh, experience while they're in, uh, in lockdown. Uh, oftentimes, this can be the, the most valuable portion of, of our podcast. So, uh, Hank or Judy, do you have any uh, movie or book that you recommend uh, for these troubled times? I'll go ahead. Um, um, and it's a wonderful one. And, you know, it's really about um, understanding what we all know we have inside of us. And that is uh, resilience and, you know, accepting the new reality, but also taking it and there it's tough, but taking it and people are suffering right now. But when you can catch your breath, um, understanding that there will be something that good that comes out of this, the strengthening of all of us. And, book I would suggest to you is something called The Three Box Solution. Um, it is a book about how companies should operate, but it has so much application to individual lives when you think about what you must invest in in terms of your own life for the present to keep yourself going, but your real commitment to yourself and your well-being and, and everything you do and your family relationships and relationships with colleagues that you also invest your time and your energy and yourself into making sure that you're looking to the future. Um, so I'd suggest the three box solution. And then when you have a moment just to relax, um, I go to always my favorite tunes that are anything earth, wind and fire. <laughs> earth, wind and fire. Okay. And uh, three box solution. Uh, it's a book by VJ Govindarian. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, Hank, what do you have for us? Well, I can recommend what no one should watch. Don't watch <laughs> Contagion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't watch it. Um, but, you know, Does it have a happy oh, ending? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Does it no. have a happy ending at least? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess. Um, you know what? I, I don't have a specific recommendation as to a book or movie, but I would say this. Uh, I think none of us should underestimate the stress and strain we're experiencing, even if in real time we don't feel it. Uh, and if ever there was a time to the extent we're, we're talking about literature or, or watching Netflix or Amazon watching a film, escapist entertainment seems like a really good idea now. So uh, what I have done is I pulled out the, uh, the American Film Institute has a list of the 100 greatest movies of all time. Mm -hmm. I'm working my way through the list um, and I'm avoiding all the really dark and serious films. Um, so that there's my, my, my two cents on that, on that question, David. Great. Well, uh, Judy and Hank, uh, again, thank you very both. Thank you both very much for your, for your time here on Miranda warnings and, and for your service and uh, you know, stay strong and, and keep leading us. Thank you, David. Thank you, Hank. Thank you, Judy. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast, available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.